I'm Reverend Beth Hayward, and this is Souls and Souls, a podcast for the spiritual but not religious and the religiously spiritual. I'm in conversation today with Emily Smith, an Anglican priest, writer, theologian. Born in Argentina, Emily has walked with a profound commitment to the people of Guatemala for well over three decades. Through her work with the Oscar Romero International Liberation Theology Network, she's spent time in every region of Latin America and the Caribbean. Emily has been privileged to come alongside numerous communities struggling for the protection of sacred land and water. And sometimes her commitment to the struggle has even landed her in jail. Welcome, Emily. Hello, so good to be here, thanks. Yeah, glad to be in conversation with you today. And before we get into all of the amazing things you've done in your life, I um, love to ask people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I love to ask people who, especially who get their paycheck from the church, if they are um, spiritual or religious. And Hmm. I'll just leave it at that. I I know you'll have somewhere to go with that one. Interesting question, of course. Um, I would say both. Of course, um, I was raised in quite a secular home. Hmm. My dad, sometimes I, I've jokingly described him as a fundamentalist atheist. He's a I've scientist. Met some of those. Yeah, he's a scientist, and you know, if you can't, if it can't be proved by science, and uh, then it doesn't exist, and it's ridiculous to think of anything in any other way. So that was my upbringing. And I had a I had a radical grandmother. I hope lots of people should. I'm, tr- I'm trying to be one myself. But um, my grandma was a Catholic worker. She uh, she was a follower of uh, worker with uh, with Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Day. And um, she was also a communist. So it was kind of an interesting background. But she had St. Francis on her wall and in her heart. And she was kind of there at this other always social justice big thing in my family and her particularly and then um when uh when i was beginning to feel the call to to social justice as well she was right there this is this this she was the one who um it made sense everything i was doing made sense to her wow or my parents were worried about me not going, continuing in university and running off to join the revolution and all that. They, my grandma understood. Um, so the the spiritual, I think it was always there. And then what happened is I I got involved in the struggle for uh, liberation in Guatemala, and um, and I found that everyone I was working with was a Christian, and it was very strange and. Um, and then as I got deeper involved, I got more involved with the Mayan communities who were Christian and traditionally uh, in their in their traditional practices. So I said, like, OK, um, then when I moved back to Canada, I was kind of um, I was a little bit lost. I I I went back to the Unitarian Church where, you know, if I'd ever gone to church, that was where we went to church. And I just mm-hmm. found I was missing Jesus. It was like, I was mm-hmm. like, where is he? <laughs> He's here somewhere. So I, I was with a, a Guatemalan friend and and then a Canadian friend one one night in Castlegar in 1997 I think it was and and we just we we stayed up all night talking about faith and the my friend um, Bud Goderis I always tell him he's he it's all his fault 
He's a former Catholic priest who became an Anglican and was very involved in Guatemala forever. And my beloved friend, uh, Marta Gloria Torres, um, he just said, you can walk in the door. You can walk into this room. You're welcome here. And I had all these questions. He said, no, you know, you, know, you, you can come in. And I just walked in. It was terrifying because, you know, I had this, my father's voice in the background saying like, what, you fool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yet it, it just made the most sense. It made the most sense to hang my hat on this hook as my ancestors have forever. And, and then, uh, uh, so the spiritual and the religious are really, I mean, they're, they're two sides of, of a similar conversation. I think the the religious what what helped me think okay I need to embrace a religion was because I just didn't want to make it up myself anymore it's not like I'm the I'm the last adjudicator of truth um so so saying yes to a tradition meant that I had to embrace the tradition with all of its warts and its history mm. and yet um declare that it 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 carried truth as well it carried a, a, the deepest truth and the most rebellious i could be was to embrace this this faith and to and to walk with it and and to struggle with it because you know i've had my i've had my moments i'm sure yeah most of us um <laughs> within the institution would say that uh -huh. uh, but it's so interesting though that it's um that you name this taking on the identity of the tradition warts and all um just tell me a bit more about uh, what i'm hearing is you have enough life experience to know um it, things and institutions and experiences are not black and white like how do you stick with um things in life where how do you keep that commitment i guess to a faith tradition mm -hmm. um when it lets you down sometimes or when you know it's history is checkered mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you live with yeah. yourself <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's a strange thing to be a christian in in this day and age and in this place and time and knowing the history and 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 living honestly with the history um not just sort of either whitewashing it or or you know digging a hole and sticking it in but trying to see where the liberation is in the tradition itself. So, I mean, as I said, I, I was with the people of Guatemala who brought me to faith and their, their absolute commitment to this way of being and, and that this way of being would turn the world over. Um, it, 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 I just kept that path with those people and knowing my own great faultedness as well you know I'm a I'm a European descent raised in Canada I have a passport which gives me the privilege of going wherever I want um, mm -hmm. a lot of things I never thought about and never knew never understood and still don't um, say I can say I'm trying but I think that the the the, the people I worked with understood and, and if I was able to come with a kind of a, a humility and uh, and a sorrow about our own past and and just really sit quietly with that um, not sort of 
having to take over the space and and even even in my apology or my commitment to not be that way to to just to try to you know and I'm a loud boisterous extrovert so it's kind of <laughs> for me to sit quietly and and take my lumps was 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 not easy and I I mean I went I so my Guatemalan story is I married a Guatemalan when I was 21 and we were involved in the struggle here in Mexico and in Guatemala and then 10 years later I moved back to Canada and then I came and came and left from Guatemala and then I moved back there again once my kids were grown mm-hmm. I moved there in 2009 and I lived there for four almost four years in the highlands of the Quiche region of Guatemala and often in that situation I, I, well, first of all, my Spanish is perfect, but my quiche is pretty terrible. Mm. And quiche is spoken by a million people in that area. And a lot of people don't speak Spanish and quiche is the language of choice mm-hmm. often. So I would find myself in a situation where I simply couldn't be the loud mouth and the expert and the know-it-all. And, and I would find myself just sitting and I, oh, isn't I, that humbling? <laughs> yeah. And I learned that, you know, there was a role for me and I was particularly involved in supporting communities that were resisting Canadian mining companies, which is the biggest problem in the world that comes from Canada. And I found myself time and again in a community that was having a conversation about mining in another language I understood a few words. I understand holy mountain. I understand. Uh, so I've got some of the context and then they would drift into Spanish a little bit, but I would say, and they're long meetings and in, in, in the indigenous communities would be three, four hours. And I would just really learn to, to, to sit quietly and also to stand as a symbol of, and I would always apologize. The first thing I do is I'd get up and I'd apologize because, you know, they would acknowledge me and I would apologize for not speaking K'iche. I would say that in K'iche. I learned to say that and then people would laugh and think I spoke K'iche. But then <laughs> then, then, then I would I'd apologize. Learn. Then I'd learn. And then I would apologize for being Canadian and, and for the mining companies that were encroaching on their land. So... Mm-hmm. So that was a, that, and, and then also in Indigenous context here in Canada, I mean, it's, it's not like I have any expertise or anything to say except I'm sorry and, and be filled with gratitude for the generosity of people's willingness to try again and make a commitment to stand with them in whatever, in whatever way they understood um, the struggle to be and what, what I needed to do and what they needed me to do and, and to really try to take that back seat, right? Well, and you know, so much of um, when we are convicted to do something, it can be easy, I guess, to to run with that. So to hear that your commitment to walking with others um, required you to step back and, and mm-hmm. not come in with let me tell you how to do this. Um, exactly. Almost sounds like you were being taught. You were being, um, you were learning uh, mm-hmm. as much or more than you were bringing, if you will. Absolutely, and I think that's the, and it and it kind of it kind of it reshapes your interior in in a way that is it's almost indescribable. But it's um, and if you and if you let it, it's it's 
amazing. It's lovely. Like to feel like, like, uh, like my relationship with, with the indigenous peoples in Guatemala is, is so profound. I can't, it, it's hard to speak around, about because I can't speak for them. I would never do that. And yet I can't say that I'm not shaped by what I learned. Mm-hmm. So, um, and things that I learned that, and, and then, so what I felt called to do was to go back to the tradition of my ancestors and see where was there a match? Like, where were we speaking a similar language? So mm-hmm. in terms of the holiness of the land, the, the holiness of, of relationships between creatures and the holiness between neighbors and, and- some mm-hmm. people would say that that um, is not part of the Christian tradition. So where where did mm-hmm. you find it? The the earth is the is is the holy ones and all that is in it. So the earth doesn't belong to anybody, to nobody except for the holy one who created it. And the biggest trouble we get in as as people coming from the Judeo-Christian tradition can come from this idea of subduing the earth or having dominion over the earth. And there is a trouble with that word and that teaching. Um, but if you dig deep into that one word, and I have it, the word in in Hebrew is radha. It's you're supposed to have radha with the land. And what it and and it comes up in Genesis and it comes up in Ezekiel, and and it comes up in Ezekiel when the the bad shepherds did not have radha with the, with the land and with the people of the land and what that means is and you know they were bad shepherds so they ate the sheep and they didn't look after the sick and the weak and they they didn't look after them, so what that word really means is to have dominion or subdue is a is it's a it's badly translated and what it really means is to be in right relationship it means to not exploit it means to not think you are the one who understands what it means to be uh, part of god's creation so to live in a kind of a humility with that particular word, I think that's the biggest job we have as European descendant Christians is how how can we retake that word and put it in its rightful place? Yeah, so it's not uh, it's not rewriting history at all. It is telling uh, a different history, telling a different story mm-hmm. um, than we've been led to believe right from the very roots uh, and to to hold yeah to hold that up because our ancestors my ancestors were were potato farmers in sweden and you know and then poor working class people from england and ireland and actually we did found we dig dug around deep enough and we found i thought i was a a total rebel becoming an Anglican priest, but it turns out that my great grandfather's father and brother were Church of Ireland priests or Anglican priests. So it's like, oh rats, the apple didn't fall all that far. But um, but yeah, I think if we look in our own traditions there, and we can look in in the story of Saint Francis and his understanding of the the brotherhood and the sisterhood of all creation, and and others who understand that it's not a ex- exploitative relationship it's not an expropriative relationship it's really about 
living in, in balance and living with respect and love for everything that's around us. And I think if we're going to survive at all, and, and I think our role as Christians is to, to bring our voice to the table, is to listen to, to those people who have not forgotten ever their role in, um, in creation, in, in being uh, caretakers and being guardians and, and living with honor and respect. And, and that will evaporate many of the problems in the world if we actually have that as the the absolute north star in our lives well let's talk about listening a bit um because it when you have found you know your calling in life that which you must uh, commit your life to as you have uh in walking alongside those who would protect the lands and the waters uh, and protect against uh, you know, corporate mm. corruption and greed. There are others who have different points of view. There are others you must mm -hmm. meet when you are this convicted um, who are polar opposite. Uh, how do you listen? How do you play a role in, I guess, in not perpetuating that us and them nature of the world because my sense is you know uh, that that uh, won't get us anywhere. How do you listen mm -hmm. to those who are mm. so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I'm right. Darn it. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough way how to walk with humility but also with conviction. And I mean, I think that's again, where do we, where do we take our leadership from where are we um where are we claiming truth because it's it's not true that everything is true <laughs> it's mm. not true that i mean that that middle road which anglicans love so much is can be a can be a place of acquiescence to power and i think that's just it's um there has to be uh, conviction as well as and discernment and and love right like actually my my next door neighbor here in my house in in east van is a is um is a geologist that works with a mining company mm. Mm. <laughs> i peer from my bathroom looks into his study i wonder if i if i brought binoculars i could like read what he's up to oh like, that's perfect <laughs> if you didn't believe in divine intervention maybe maybe that's caused you to so, and he's a lovely guy and, you know, and we get along and we're over the, you know, so, it, and we don't talk about it. And I don't know if he knows what I'm really up to because mm -hmm. I'm really up to like overthrowing him, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, how do we, who do we take our, 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 our marching orders or where do we, where do we act? And I think it's like, I think there's 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 dual places to find that, and and the, the main thing is to to not hate, but to not acquiesce. So it's like mm. with my neighbor, with you know, I've been jumping up and down in front of Gold Corp for you know years now, and so I've been up into the mountains of of San Marcos in in Guatemala and I've sat beside women who have lost their husbands who have been murdered I've sat with women who've been raped by the uh, security guards and Canadian mining companies and it's like 
you know, there is an us and a them. And, I, you know, I want my us to be with these women and these, and these impoverished communities. And so our goal, I mean, I lived in Guatemala and, and was very happy there and missed my kids and all that. But, you know, I, I might have stayed, but I had a, one of the indigenous leaders who I've known for decades, he said to me, so Emily, you love Guatemala, don't you? And I said, yeah, 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 I love Guatemala. And he said, okay, go home. And I went like, what? Because <laughs> my role, my job really isn't to be in Guatemala. Guatemalans know exactly, they don't need missionaries. They don't need, I mean, they, they don't need me. Uh, they need me in a, in, a, in a different kind of way than what I might imagine I want to be. So what they need me to do is to amplify their voice. They're not, it's not to be the voice of the voiceless because they have a voice. If we're not listening to their voice, that's mm. a different story. So how can we be amplifiers of that voice, whether here or whether, you know, whether Kanahus uh, um, Manuel and the, you know, the protest of the, the little house warriors blockading the, the pipeline up in, in, in the Kamloops area. I mean, how can we take those voices that are powerful and just and, and amplify them and, and think about ways, for example, I, uh, uh, I just had this idea, it's not possible to do now, but I wonder if we all know that I love Bard on the Beach. One of the main patrons of Bard on the Beach is uh, Gold Corp. So Gold Corp is busy destroying Guatemala and the Dominican Republic and Argentina and everywhere I've been as the co-president of Sixal, I get told this story again and again. So then we go off to watch, you know, as we like it or whatever, and without really making that connection. So I have this idea one of these years, maybe we'll get organized and to, to leaflet the Bard on the Beach, to invite the Bard on the Beach people to stop accepting blood money from Gold Corp. So they can clean up their public image here in Canada and they can, you know, the Gold Corp Center for the Arts and the Gold Corp Center for Human, for, um, for mental health. And then every, you know, the symphony, the opera, the, the bard on everywhere, the aquarium everywhere, Gold Corp mm -hmm. is everywhere. So how can we claim that voice of those who are saying no and, and really make a difference in the way we live in the world and, um, so that that that's what it, that's what I think my role is in this in this particular situation. Yeah, and I hear those words of um, uh, you don't hate, but you also don't acquiesce. I think that's uh, mm -hmm. very poignant. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump ahead. So you come back to Canada because uh, your my bishop needed me. <laughs> yeah, and well, the people in Guatemala didn't. They told me to. Yeah, and and. You wind up in jail. Well, like, I mean, I know it wasn't like I came back to Canada and wound up in jail. Yeah. How is it um, that you can be so convicted of something that <laughs> that you're mm. willing to put yourself in the line yeah. like that? So it, for those who don't right. know, I mean, you were protesting the, the construction of a pipeline uh, yeah. in, in Burnaby, British Columbia, uh, close to where you live, um, yeah. along with uh, countless Indigenous peoples. Yeah. What happened? And, and maybe mm -hmm. even before we get to the big philosophical part of it, <laughs> mm -hmm. tell me about being there, right. knowing that this is coming, you're on the front lines. What is that like? 
Well, first of all, I, I had done a bunch of this when I was in my 20s. <laughs> so, so it was I, just old hat. <laughs> it, well, it was, except for I'd stopped for about 40, for 20 years, right? Um, raising families and stuff. And, and getting arrested in Guatemala is, is just not possible or advisable. Um, but um, yeah, so it was just, it was coming to Canada and coming back to Canada and really coming alongside other people of different faiths and different traditions and and um and the Tsleil-Waututh indigenous people saying no way like not again and realizing that this the oil refineries and all these things that were built on their sacred land these are the people of the inlet and if you i, I was just sort of driving out out there yesterday to to go for a hike and you you go by all of these you know the oil tankers and the and the tank farm and all of these that that were put on this land and nobody was asked like the Tsleil-Waututh have not signed a treaty or an agreement or anything and and these pipelines arrived and destroyed their their holy land uh, 60 years ago or, or and even before that um, so when there was this idea that they were going to expand the pipeline, it just seemed to, to me like yet another imposition of colonial Canadian capitalism. And of course, I wasn't alone. And there were lots and lots and lots and lots of people that have been fighting the expansion of the pipeline for decades. And it just it kind of swelled in the in the spring of, of 2018. And, you know, there had been a group of people who had been arrested before, and there's a group of people getting arrested now, it seems it comes in cycles. And, and it just it just was my time, I, I was invited by a, another Anglican priest, Laurel Dykstra, uh, who works with a, uh, she has a ministry called Salal and Cedar Ship cedar watershed community so they're an outdoor worshiping community and and um and by others to have a a day long as part of a larger campaign and hundreds and hundreds of people were arrested and as part of it there was a day long um a night long day and night um, um I, I don't like the word protest because mm -hmm. protest sounds so it's just not what I was doing. It wasn't protesting. I was kind of standing with the Tsleil-Waututh in defense of the holiness of their land. And, and so we stood there. It was a, a group. It was the people of faith night and, and day. And we were there all night and, and then in the morning. Um, and it was, it was a, such a contrast. So we were there all night. And then in the morning, we were blockading the road and, you know, that we're in this beautiful context with a beautiful day in April. Actually, it's just almost three years ago now. And, the, you know, the sun was shining on the mountains and the inlet was lit with, with beauty and there were eagles flying overhead and we'd had a drum ceremony and a pipe ceremony. And, and it was just like all that is right with, with one another and right with our relationship with each other and the earth. And then the con the contrast of, mm -hmm. of, of this, of this horror, which is, which is the oil and the pipeline. And, 
one of my most beloved friends, indigenous priest, uh, Vivian Seegers is from, she calls herself an environmental refugee. She's from um, um, uh, Fort Chippewa and from Uranium City. So she's part contaminated by the uranium mines and part um, by the oil, the tar sands. And I've never been there, but just the horrors of that and, and the destruction of, of that land is incalculable and, and the destruction of, of her people and their way of life. And so we, she was actually with me that day and, and as was the indigenous bishop, national Anglican indigenous bishop, Mark McDonald and a, a number of other traditions. And we just didn't move. We didn't move. And so, I mean, getting arrested was, you know, if you've been in Guatemala getting arrested and, and getting, you know, you're a white middle-class clergy person getting arrested on a, on a Friday morning in April um, with hundreds of people watching, it's, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was just taking that, it was putting my body where my, where my heart and my soul were. And a few other people arrested that day, especially Steve Heinrichs, who's an incredible uh, Mennonite leader who's done a huge amount of work on what it really means to work towards reconciliation. He's, he's in Winnipeg. And so he and I agreed or decided that we had, we weren't going to plead anything because we just refused to participate. So we didn't plead in, didn't plead guilty. We didn't pay the fine. We didn't, we just, I mean, we weren't rude ever. And we were found to be in contempt of, of not of the court, but of the injunction that had been placed. So um, yeah, so in August of that year, we were we were sentenced. It was seven days in jail. So it was it was. Uh, I mean, I've written about that. Anyone wants to read about it? Mm-hmm. I, I published my prison letters, such as they are. I mean, I'm not Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but it's like <laughs> it's uh, it 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 was an it was an incredible experience to go to Alouette Correctional Center for Women and to. And to just live with the women there for less than a week um, and just to experience how cruel, I mean, this is a Canadian jail, but it's, it's just, you know, and, and, and disproportionate indigenous people, of course. Mm. And, and my, if I had one thing to say about the women in jail is that they, they may have done the wrong, you know, they've, obviously had broken the law or whatever but long before that they had been hurt themselves by and and by by our our way of being like our way of being here in Canada had hurt them long before they began to participate in whatever harm they were involved in and 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 the question of of poverty and of violence it was just there was no one there no woman there that I met and you know I was there as a priest and ended up listening a lot to a lot of uh, a, a lot of pastoral care went on my, that week there and, um, and I was I, there was no one who wasn't hurt as a girl right like no one who wakes up in the morning and says i'm going to break the law that there yeah. is such a story behind it yeah and what, and that we had failed them mm-hmm. that we as a country as a society had failed them long before this 
and and I felt nothing but but heartbreak and compassion. I know um, as part of that, and certainly in many aspects of your life, um, you know, it, people see uh, that you're a priest, uh, they see the uniform, um, <laughs> they want to confess, they want to, what do you think is going on for people when they are so um, in need of laying at your feet, uh, their regrets in life? Mm -hmm. Interesting question. Yeah. Um... Well, we just had um, we just had last Sunday was the uh, the story that comes around every year after Easter is the story of of uh, Jesus appearing in the room with the disciples after after the encounter in the garden and everything with uh, Mary Magdalene. So that and I really focused. Uh, he appears twice. So first he appears and Thomas isn't there, and then the next week, of course, he comes back and Thomas is there. So those are quite similar, except for the Thomas piece. And I thought, well, you know, I talk about Thomas all the time. So why don't we just forget about Thomas this year? And because what he does when he comes back is he talks about uh, forgiveness of sins. He says, my peace I give to you and my peace I leave with you. And if you retain the sin sins of any on earth, they are retained. If you forgive them, they're forgiven. So it's like, oh, what does it actually mean? And, you know, people get all tripped up around the word sin and, you know, mm -hmm. especially people that don't go to church very often and they only get their Christianity from television or, or movies, they think, you know, or the very, very loud uh, sort of people that call themselves Christians that are really focused on sin, which I don't think is exactly sin. Um, but sin is real. So what is sin? Sin, sin is is somehow living outside the way that God means for us in God's absolute love and passion for us. So we can be sinful in thousands of, of ways and, we, and those we can sin against can be ourselves, right? We, mm -hmm. we cannot love our, you know, when it says the, the Shema, which is love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. I always remind people that also says love yourself and that the, those three things you're supposed to do. So how do we not love our neighbor? How do we not love God? How do we not love ourselves? And, and how can we rectify that? And, and how, how it all turns around that. So when Jesus comes back after, after being murdered and after not being dead, what he reminds those who have gathered and, 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 you know, you're in that strange time and you've probably been there after the funeral, mm -hmm. after all the stuff has happened and now you just go home and it's just this kind of weird heartbroken time. And that's when Jesus appears and, and brings them that remembrance that what they're about, what they're called to do to take to the ends of the earth is this message of, of, of love and of forgiveness. And yes, we are all sinners in that we continually break the bonds of love, but we are continually invited to reestablish. And that's, I mean, you know, with the Mayan communities and with indigenous peoples I've worked with here, I found that incredible uh, just generosity. When you actually arrive without thinking you know it all and without a plan of telling it all and if you just come and arrive and and 
and you want to be with people and, and listen to them, the, the generosity and the love is unbelievable and I wouldn't trade it for a million pounds of gold, right? Mm. That, that relationship, which is restored, is, is precious. And I just, I, I mean, my friend Vivian says what she would like to tell every white person is go off and befriend an indigenous person, like really befriend them, like go with them on their journey of, of suffering and of healing and of recovery and, and, and not as a, someone there to fix it all, but as a friend. And I think that well, that's sounds, a wonderful message. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much about relationship, right? It's, uh, yeah. It, yeah, we can't hate those who we know, uh, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm interested that the piece of, um, yeah, sin, we all break the, the bonds of love. Um, I want to know about you, Emily. Like, I was going to ask if you have regrets, but I expect it's more <laughs> a matter of, um, what have you done? Uh, how mm-hmm. have you come through? I mean, we are in the season of Easter in the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. How yeah. have you transformed the broken bits, the things that you might regret uh, into possibilities, into new life? Uh, well, thank you for asking. It's, uh, <laughs> wow. Well, I'm a mother. Uh, I have a good friend who's a, a United Church minister. We went to seminary together, and she always said, I am mother inferior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> and I was like, yep. And the ways that we did not do that right. <laughs> it's like, um, I think with, I have three sons, and now three three uh, daughters-in-law and three grandchildren. It's like the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think that, I I mean, I am so imperfect. And I know that they could say that a lot of things seemed to come before them and decisions that that I've made that they were not very wise in in thinking about their long-term well-being um you know running off around and joining the rebel armed forces with three little children and traveling to guatemala in the midst of the war and then coming back to canada you know like ah so many Mm -hmm. things i'm like oh my god how do they do that um you know in ways that i've not been thoughtful about about the their future or my own future or um and I think I've sinned in in serious ways about not taking care of myself, not valuing myself. Um, and these are personal sins. And I think greater than that is the collective the the collective sin that we are all part of is is the greatest thing that I mean I'm collecting a I'm going to collect a Canadian pension, which is based on on the exploitation and violence and destruction of, of others. And the United Church of Canada has investments in Gold Corp. And yep. Catherine Anderson, who you probably know. I has, do. She was one of my mentors. <laughs> oh, me too. She yeah. fought for decades to divest. And it's like, oh, no, the fiduciary responsibility is like, I had the head of the United Church pension fund in my house in 
Quiche and he met survivors of, you know, of the genocide and still, you know, and I only say that about the United Church because the Anglicans haven't even gone that far. It's not like we've figured it out. Come on, folks, get on board. It's like, so our collective sin, and those are huge things that, you know, that, that are leading to the end of civilization. I mean, there are things that are happening that we can't tinker with. <laughs> we have to do some things really differently. And, you know, and, it, and it, it's not possible for any one of us to be the one that saves the world. But, but where, are, where did the Holy Spirit blow us? <laughs> and where are we called to stand up and, and to, to be agents of healing, of reconciliation, of love, of change? And, and how can we sit back and put leadership back in the hands of, of, of people that are really going to take us to places that are about caring for the earth, about caring for one another, about caring for the ways that we make t-shirts, you know, like everything. It's all like, where do we get our coffee? Where do we, there's so much to do. And you can just like, oh, I can't do it all. And of course not. But how can we collaborate with one another on building paths of justice? And, and how can we reinstigate joy in our life? Um, I've, I, I've been part of a, a movement in the last three years of uh, a group called Music That Makes Community um, mm -hmm. out of the States. And the, the, you know, I went and did a training with that and my wife is a part of it and others. And, and we're just about, you know, now we're doing it online. It can be done. It's not entirely awful, <laughs> but you know, how can we sing together and sing that joy back into our life? And I mean, I'm the, I'm the happiest human I know. I just like, I walk around, uh, it's exhausting sometimes. It just, it just like everything is sparks love and joy. And you look around and, and I, you know, and I, I, I live my, my parishes in New Westminster in a kind of a poor neighborhood and, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of suffering there. There's people who've escaped from war and people who live in a lot of isolation and loneliness and, 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 and there's, um, yeah, there's a, there, there's a lot of, of sadness and drug addiction. I've done a numerous um, funeral services for fentanyl overdoses, but it just, it's, it's I'm irrepressible anyway. It's just like in the midst of that, how do we gather those folks together and, and still care for each other and love one another? Mm. You know, I was, I was going to ask you what gives you hope, but you've actually embodied it in these past <laughs> few minutes. I, yeah. I, you know, as a, I'm going to bring this to a close. I, I feel so gifted by this conversation, Emily. And I know as a priest, you don't, um, it changes your relationship um, with faith in a sense, and you don't get to be the recipient of all those priestly blessings sometimes. So mm. I want to say to you as, as, as we take our leave, what I know you say to countless others, that you are a beloved child of God. And thank you for sharing your gifts and your passion um, and your deep sense of hope uh, with me today. Thank you so much. Oh, Beth, I can't say enough. This is uh... This is a holy time for me. I, I, we're going into in 10 days or in, on the 23rd of, of April, um, the Catholic Church will hold up and honor 
10 martyrs who were killed in the Guatemalan genocide in the area where I worked. And I can't be there. <laughs> but it, it, I'm, I'm doing a, a prayer every day for 10 days to end on the 23rd of April. And it's just, it, it, what, the, what the martyrdom means of these beloved people, it, it's the same story of Jesus. It's not about the crucifixion. It's about the inability of the destructive forces to totally destroy these people, our world. We got we 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 have a beautiful story to share, and I'm I'm just thrilled to to have had this this opportunity to share with you and your listeners. And I can hardly wait to meet you for real and hug <laughs> you and all those fun things. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, amen to that. Yeah. You've been listening to Souls and Souls. I'm the Reverend Beth Hayward. Be sure to rate, like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others who would be interested. We're going to start dropping a new episode every two weeks on Wednesday, so be sure to check back for that. And if you want to connect further, you can always visit our website, canadianmemorial.org. Just click on the link Souls and Souls. Until next time.